Well, that said a lot right there, what we just sang. It's a way of describing an event that happened a long time ago that just uh, re-dramatizes itself in every life, a way that God takes what he sees and redefines it in a way that's very beautiful. And what do I mean by that? As God looks at you and I, he sees lost sheep. He sees people who have so much possibility, yet so much that is working against us. He sees us in states of vulnerability, states of despair, states of hurt. And then he sees us living in a way that all of that has been destroyed, redeemed, resolved, taken care of. And it's this whole transfer from one place to another that he's been very active doing for literally thousands of years. And certainly this side of the cross, uh, it's a pretty dramatic act to just consider for a minute that we were the property of the evil one at one point. And then when God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem you. And the evil one, not thinking that he's able to... To, to, to not hold on to us, didn't realize that the cross had so powerfully disarmed him and enabled us to just open up the prison door and walk out into a new way of life. That new way of life is, uh, is, is the potential that God calls us into. But what we have to do as a responsibility now is tune in to how it is that we're supposed to live. Because if, you, if you've known people that have, that have gone into prisons and jails and things like that, a couple of things can happen. One is they can begin to act like the people they're around and they say we're the sum total of the five people that we spend the most time with. And the people that they're around could be one of two kinds of people. And that is, they could be the kind of people that just take you farther and farther down into captivity. Or they can be the kind of people that have said, believe it or not, even though I'm physically behind jail bars, I've been free for a long time. And some people, they go that direction. The fear is that if you are in that incarcerated state and you get out and you don't have anything to reinforce your freedom... You just end up going back. But the hope is there are things that happen in your world on the other side of it that begin to redefine you. And one of the images that we find in Scripture is um, repeated throughout. As a matter of fact, it is an image of a person meditating on a book. And it's an image that if you were to take a snapshot through different places in history, in one form or another, you would see this image pretty constantly. It's the image of a, ca- a former captive learning to redefine themselves as, as, a, as a set-free human being. And that redefinition process for so many people from the time of King David to especially the time after our Lord Jesus and into the present has had one generation after another after another a picture of a person peering into this book and reading the Psalms and praying them each and every day. 
Matter of fact, Jesus was no exception. Did you know that the one book that he quoted the most was in fact the book of Psalms? It was his way of saying, I am tuning into that reality which is defined within this book that I want you to tune into as well. And for a lot of us, it's, it's just nice to be set free to do what we want. But the problem is, old habits being what they are, we get set free to do what we used to do. And it's not really being set free at all. And what God does is he comes in and he says, no, you, you have to redefine what all of your habits are, what all the things are that define you, the rituals, the things that your go-tos are. And you got to get tuned into that process because it's going to be a little bit of a long one to get your head and heart in the right place. Well, when the Psalms were written, I don't know that the different people that wrote them as they were inspired by God fully realized what they were doing. But they were instrumental in a revolution where as the book is read, it kind of reads us as well. And it tells us a lot about ourselves. But the thing that it really helps us to walk away from is to know not just the mind of our Redeemer, but the heart of our Redeemer. And so part of that process that I've, I've tried to play a role in in our, in our church, in helping the set-free captives to redefine themselves with new habits, new rituals, new things to attend to in your heart and mind, has been to engage our church with uh, 21 days of prayer through the Psalms. And my hope has been, like I've seen and heard of other churches doing a very similar thing in the opening days of the year, is that it will set the tone for what is yet to happen in 2020 in such a way that we no longer see ourselves as captives caught up in the prison of sin and under the dominion of the evil one. But we see ourselves now as set free children of our Redeemer and our Savior, our Father in Heaven, and our Redeemer, our Lord Jesus. As sheep who need a shepherd, not the flat, most flattering image. As people who recognize that in no way could we ever have set ourselves free from the predicaments that we found ourselves in. But rather... The one who liberated us has so many other things that he wants to add to your life and mine that we have to discover what those things are. And when we do, we have to claim them. And so a lot of us, this is day 21, uh, as we started a few weeks ago. And as we end with the 23rd Psalm, a very familiar Psalm for, I would say, probably everyone in the room, we've discovered a lot of things about the God who has set us free. And the particular study that we've gone through centers on all of the my statements. It's a very personal way of describing our, your relationship and mine to the one who redeemed us. Because he's, he's far beyond what a redeemer actually is. He has so many aspects to his character that he wants to bring to bear on, on, on our lives that uh, we're, we're really impoverished if we don't pay attention to them. Anybody have children and you tell your kids, you know, if you do this a certain way, it'll play out 
in, in a way that um, it, you, you reap so many benefits. But if you disregard this little bit of wisdom that I've, I've actually suffered to get, um, you're going to end up repeating the same mistake. Anybody ever have that conversation with your kids? Anybody ever been that kid? We all have, haven't we? I, it's so funny because when we're a kid, we think we know it all. And when we get to be 18, we are, well, we're omniscient. We know everything about everything. And then all of a sudden, that, that moment of brilliance and genius kind of fades back to reality. And we discover at 25, don't quite know as much as I thought I did. And at 30, we're asking our parents for advice. At 35, we're actually starting to take it. At 39, we're actually maybe behaving some of it if it was a good takeaway. We're just slow learners, aren't we? But the thing that I've learned and, and the things that my parents have taught me and I hope to teach my kids along the way is that it... It definitely streamlines the process if you pay attention to those things that will get you farther along in life, that will help you overcome things, that will be habits that will define you in a good way. And what the Psalms do essentially is that they are a reflection of the character and the qualities of the God that we worship. And by design, they... They call us to do a couple of things. They call us to, whether we're struggling with sin, when we're looking at Psalm 51 and we want to overcome, or we've overcome and we look at Psalm 32 and we say this is what we do after we've overcome, or whether we're looking at somebody who is opposing us in life, and we've, we've read a lot about that in the Psalms that we've been reading, and what to do about that. Should we pray God, you know, smite them with the sword? Or do we come to our senses like the scripture seems to do every time that emotion is given by David or someone like him and we realize those things are for God to sort out not for me and on and on it goes and at the end of 21 days there are so many facets of life that we realize we need help on far beyond just being saved and redeemed and at the end of the book, we discovered all the ways that God helps us. And I'd like to show what they are and, and, just, and just recount them real quickly. Uh, I, I, have, I have four lists with one final list that I want to show that are all the things that are mentioned in the back of this prayer guide that define who God is to us. For example, beginning with the first psalm that we read in this, in this, in this guide, the Lord is my king who hears me. The Lord is my rock who protects me. The Lord is my portion who satisfies me. The Lord is my joy who fulfills me. The Lord is my cup who refreshes me. So if you're needing somebody to hear you, when nobody's listening, somebody to protect you when you feel afraid, someone who can in all ways, in his own way, in his own time, bring satisfaction to a discontent life, someone who can provide joy in the midst of everything that we struggle with in life, someone who refreshes us. Now, I don't know if you need any of that stuff in your life, but I certainly do. And it isn't like I'm a consumer and I'm saying, God, can you please give me some of that? 
But rather in this, by, by the definition of our experience of the Psalms, it's more like, God, the more I come to know you, and the more I come to understand your ways, and the more I come to realize that you're always with me, the more I see that these areas that I also lack, and maybe these are some of the ones that got me in prison in the first place, you're more than sufficient to provide for. Well, it gets richer. So God is also this. He is the Savior who forgives me. He is the refuge who accepts me. He is my son who guides and comforts me. He is my hiding place who keeps me safe. He is my strength who empowers me. So on that front, if you need a Savior, if you need a safe place, if you need light on your path, if you need comfort when you, when you uh, fall and skin your knee on the path, if you need strength for whatever it is that you don't have the strength for, the Psalms tell us God is our go-to on that front. Well, it, it even gets better. Because as we discover all these things that God is for us, we also realize that he's our fortress, he's our redeemer, He's our helper. He's our shield. He is sovereign who rules our lives. And let's just go on and and finish out the list. He is our stronghold, our sustainer, our counselor, our light, the horn of our salvation who gives us victory. But I think the most important one is summarized in the last reading. The 21st day, where we read the 23rd Psalm. And it's an image of God that is an embodiment of everything that we just read. It's a characteristic that's sort of like the balcony view of all of the other characteristics. And it's a, and it's a powerful image that when we think of God through this lens, you don't have to go any farther than this picture in the back of our church, which is absolutely profound. Because... As we read the last statement, statement number 21, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, who is the sum of all I need and all I want. And as we get out of prison, so to speak, it's just a long journey of coming to the slow realization Because we think we need this and we think we want that and we think that this is going to end the search and we think that is going to answer the question. But if you're like me, you find that all roads lead back ultimately to the shepherd. There is just no other destination that summarizes what it means to fulfill whatever that need is that's been created in our lives than him. It actually starts to make you think that perhaps that's been the design the whole time. That whatever we lack, he designed us to find the answer in him. But most of us go through life chasing our tail thinking we're going to find it somewhere else. 
only to discover that it's not there. I mean, I, I can remember chasing my tail, and I still chase my tail, even though I don't have one. It's a metaphor, of course. But it's, but it's, but it's this sense of, if I just do that, it'll answer everything. Well, there's a lot of that's out there. But none of them do it like he does. So here's the shepherd. And he provides in every way. At the end of this message, we're going through the 23rd Psalm. And I just want to recount it real quickly. Because what I'd like to do, because I know a lot of people have said, well, I've kind of gotten into the habit now. I kind of got into the ritual of reading this. And my, you know, my wife and I, we've been, and we haven't really done anything devotionally in a long time together in this sense where we're, we're getting up in the morning and we're just dedicating that time. We've, you know, we've, for lack of a better, better way of saying it, we've just allowed the distractions of life to keep that ritual from happening. But what it's done is it's created a need. We got up this morning and I'm like, I'm already through this because I finished up a couple of days ago and I'm like, I got breakfast, but now I don't have any devotional stuff to read. So, I know there's a question out there, and so I'm glad you asked. What I thought, what I thought we would do is um, just go through all 150 psalms devotionally. And what I want to do is next week provide a book for you that you can go through 25 psalms in a month that has a similar pattern as this book right here. And it'll just help to kind of Keep that thing alive that is redefining your life, the new life that we all have together in the Lord. It has such a powerful way of taking what's going on out there and perhaps putting its effect in appropriate proportion to what's happening in here. It's just God's way of saying, you don't have to be as concerned about what's going on out there as you have been because what's going on in here makes all the difference to how you relate to what's going on out there. But how do we know that? We follow the shepherd and he leads us into that understanding. Now, any, anybody, 10 sheep here? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. Anybody ride sheep? Can you ride them? Anybody have fainting goats? <laughs> How's that? Okay. Well, you kind of get that uh, it's something we're not too familiar with. But if you're here a few, uh, well, several months ago, I did a message on sheep. Maybe you remember that. Maybe you're traumatized by that message. You, okay, thank you. Yes, yes, right. Yeah. Just to recap, if you weren't here, I showed a video of two little lambs in Australia up on the mountain walking around and uh, they were in a dangerous place. They had strayed off the path and there's an Aussie saying, don't do a lamb. I can't do an Australian. <laughs> don't do a lammy. Don't do a lammy. And next thing you know it, she goes over the edge. And everybody's like, I can't believe you showed that. Well, you know, I, I, I called that guy up and I said, how, how, how far down was it? And he said, it was about five feet. So there you go. And you're like, I don't believe you for a minute, Leonard. 
I believed everything you said up until now, but now I quit. All right, well, I, I don't know. I can only speculate that Lammy's okay. But we don't, we don't know, do we? If Lammy would have followed the shepherd, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? Right, okay. So, a word to the wise is sufficient. However, if you guys are like me, I saw Lammy going up on the mountainside, and I'm like, that looks kind of fun. And I've only said that a million times about a million different things, only to topple over the edge. Thankfully, I'm still here because the edge was only five feet down. But there may come a day when it's a lot longer than that. But God being a good shepherd, he patiently works with you and I to get us on the right path and help us to learn the way of life that we need to know because we tend to stray. As we stray, there's only one solution. And that is to every day continue to stay tuned into the words of the shepherd. The one who summarizes everything in himself regarding everything that you and I need. And so if you want to go through all 150 Psalms, next week right outside the back door, I'll have some booklets for 1 through 25 for you guys. If you want to continue the journey, as so many people have done through the history of the church. However, if, you, if you're not sure about that, then I just want to look at the 23rd Psalm for just a second. And I want to allow it to begin to shape your thinking. Because as we go through the psalm, Psalms, if you're like me, you're asking a lot of questions. Like, why did David hate his adversary so much? And why did he say such dark things about him? And to be quite honest with you, some of you may have been saying as you're reading this, David, why were you such a drama queen? I mean, everything that you're upset about, you're just emoting out there. I think it was just God's way of showing us we all carry stuff inside of us that we've got to articulate sometimes. And sometimes when you and I talk to God, the best conversation is when we just are right up front with him and, and tell him, this is, this is what's on my heart. And as we do that, I think God has a way as a shepherd of calming us down, de-escalating us, saying, easy. And then he sort of shows us how we respond to the things that upset us. And usually it is so wise and it is so constructive that as odd as it sounds, even our enemies can find blessing through it. It's so powerful to go through that journey in the Psalms and to see how that unfolds. Because I've been that guy. I've had those frustrations. I've had those things that I've told the Lord. I've just said, God, I haven't been honest with you. I feel this way about this. And it was almost like a release. It was almost like God saying, I'm glad you finally told me what's inside of you. Now that we pull it up, let's talk about it and put it in its place. The Psalms have a powerful way of helping you and I to deal with our pain. Because we all have it. And probably none of us in the room likes it. 
And oftentimes, we're not sure what to do about it. And sometimes our pain <laughs> leads us right back into that prison where we used to dwell. Because we just try to find ways to escape it that do us a lot of harm. And I hope that the Psalms help us to take the right path. So David writes this psalm, amongst other things. It's called the 23rd Psalm. And it's a psalm that if you took the whole Bible, this Bible, and you said, what is a Bible about front to back? In some ways, you could say the substance of this book parallels the substance of the 23rd Psalm. Just bear with me. Uh, in the opening part, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's doing all this stuff. And let's just stay right there, okay? Now, when he says the Lord is my shepherd, it's his way of saying, I'm following that guy because I trust him. And I know that there's a whole bunch of things that I need in my life, and he's my provider for every one of them. I shall not want but then there's something weird going on here because David says, He makes me to lie down. Now let's just put that in a family context. Have you ever been a kid and your mom or dad said, You need to take a nap? And in their mind, you're pretty grumpy and you need some rest. And you're like, There ain't no way I'm taking a nap. Well, I got a confession to make. I come from a pretty twisted family. And when I was little, like, you know, five, six, seven years old, my grandma used to tell me when I'd get, you know, too cranky, you need a nap. And I'd be like, I ain't taking one. You're not my boss. And she would come up to me and she would put me down on the ground and then she would put me in the scissors. She would just lock me with her legs and make me stay there. And I'm like, I can't move, Grandma. You got me pinned down. I know. You're going to lay down. I'm going to make you lay down. And I'm traumatized by that. I'm just emoting it right here. I know there's an answer somewhere. But anybody making anybody lay down? I mean, come on. But how many of us, when we did take that nap, feel more refreshed when we got done? And, I, and Grandma would say, feel better now? I'm not telling. Because <laughs> I didn't want to admit it. Um, so, you know, I had kids, and we used to joke about that, putting them in the scissors. Uh, you know, they did twisted things back in the day. You probably have heard stories, haven't you, about things people used to do. And thankfully we live in a, no, we don't live in a saner day, do we? <laughs> but thankfully, when God looks at us, there are times when he says to each of us, your problem isn't that you need anything except rest. You just don't slow down. You don't bundle into your week a Sabbath rest. You don't rest and recreate. You just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing until you hit the wall. And so God's version of the scissors, 
is to just let us hit the wall. And then when we hit the wall, maybe he'll say, why don't you take a break? But everything about our culture says, you cannot take a break. There are too many things, too many, too many voices making too many demands of you that we just don't have the luxury, do we? Expectations are ratcheted up too high to take a break. But herein lies the problem, and this may be why we ended up in jail in the first place. We listened to the wrong voice. And that's what got us in trouble. And this psalmist says, I got busy, I got tired, and the shepherd said, you need to take a break. You need to lay down. And what's so cool about the imagery, it's a green pasture with still waters and the shepherd's right there and I'm safe and secure and he's with me and life is good. I'm not a real estate agent, but I would assume that based on my own personal experience with seeing this happen, that in the course of, a, of the last 10 or 15 years, it seems like there's been a move afoot to buy property next to a lake somewhere. Or go to the ocean as often as you possibly can. And I almost have to wonder if the voices in our world are screaming at us so loudly, we're so stressed out. And we're so prone to listening to what they say and responding to what they require of us. That when we go to that body of water and we just see how calm it is, we forget everything. Because it almost gives us permission to say, relax. You almost can't help yourself, can you? It just sort of pulls you in. And the green pastures, same. And it's God's way of saying, I'm just going to nourish your soul with my creation, with my shepherding presence. But you're too busy to pay attention. You're too busy to begin your day with me. You're too busy to realize just how much I have for you because it's the way you were designed to respond to the life that you've been called to live. To me and to my leading. And eventually, we all learn. But here's the thing, because I don't learn things well. They say a word to the wise is sufficient. Well, I suppose... I'm not a wise person because I've heard the words. They weren't sufficient. And so I went out and tried it. So, you know, growing up, you know, Leonard, you shouldn't play with that electrical socket. You're not the boss of me. Well, then you, when you're over there in the corner crying because something happened called electricity, you're like, oh, yeah. When you're riding your bike... And you're thinking, well, I saw him do this stunt on TV. And if I ride my bike underneath the swing set and I jump up and I grab the bar, then I can be like that guy that I saw and have my moment of glory, which I did. And then it was a trip to the hospital. And I won't go into the details because I've got trauma there as well. Well, I didn't do that anymore. But I did start racing motorcycles and just on and on. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. 
It's just there is a wise way to responsibly manage each of those situations. But in my mind, there was a fun way to responsibly take advantage of those situations. And those situations consistently ate me alive. Sometimes they got so complicated because the older I got, the more complicated the situations got that it created a heaviness where I'm thinking I can't sleep at night because, well, I made a dumb decision and I don't know any way out. This is dark. Who can help me out? Who's going to rescue me? And so the psalmist says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And as the psalmist is saying that, it's almost like he's saying, I kind of have been in those places where I feel alone and I feel like life is coming at me pretty, pretty fast and it, it's very threatening. And I feel like, well, this is maybe a trip to the hospital, maybe worse. Maybe, maybe it's something that I don't know that I'll ever get myself pulled out of. And when the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's his way of saying, I'm in that place where I'm over my head. I'm down in the valley. It is dark. And I can't see anything. And all it does... Okay, we mentioned this last week. You ever go out into the woods at night? And you go out in the woods during the day? What is the difference between going out in the woods during the day and going out in the woods during the night? Anybody tell me? One word. Imagination. Right? Am I wrong? Okay. Imagination says there's a whole lot of threatening stuff out there when there's no light. During the day, your imagination says, I don't see nothing. Let's just keep on trekking. At night, I don't know what's out there. I could run into anything. During the day, I can see pretty clearly. When you're in that dark valley and you don't know your way and you're in over your head and you don't have an answer to your problem, the psalmist says, I will fear no evil for this reason and this reason alone. The next verse says this with underscore bull caps. For you are with me. You're with me. It's the only place in the psalm up till now that he's talking about the Lord and now he's saying in the first person, I'm here and God's here. I'm here, God's here. It's dark out and my God is more than able to provide or do or give or protect whatever it is that I need. He's with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me because I am threatened and he has a way of making me feel safe. And the shepherd, whenever he comes into your life and mine, is a lot like a parent is supposed to be for their children. He is that safe space that we find a sense of peace and contentment in. But like any parent with a child, he is also that person who is trying to guide us through life along the way. 
Because let's say I just had children. Go to the hospital, have a kid, and I say, you know, look what mom and I produced, this kid. And then I have nothing whatsoever to do with that child again. Is the child going to grow up with a responsible outlook? Is a child going to grow up with a certain defined set of values? Is a child going to grow up with any inclination about how to fix a car tire? How to, you know, respond to a guy who's not being nice on the first date? How to, whatever the word is, unless there's someone there to guide them. And so the shepherd is beyond just a shepherd care. He's also a a guiding presence. Because the shepherd has one goal in mind, and that is the destination and preparing us and making us fit for that destination. You ever go on a vacation with family and friends? And um, thankfully, I can honestly say I've had good vacation with family and friends. But I have been in some gatherings with family and friends where you arrive at your destination place and you're with this person for a week. And it's like, I can't get home fast enough because this person is obnoxious and they're drama queens and they're always stirring it up and there's tension in the air so thick you could cut it with a knife. And it's, the, it's not the problem of the day. It's the problem of the moment. No, it's the problem of the minute. And you're just like, this vacation was not meant to be. And I would suggest that as God is leading us along the way, he's redeeming us for sure, but he's also preparing us so that we're fit to spend eternity together. At that destination. He's shaping us. I mean I've actually had parents say. I can't stand to be around my kids. And I get it. You have your moments. But when over the course of their lifetime. They're like I can't stand to be around those kids. When everybody's well into their adulthood. I have to wonder sometimes. Where did it break down? Why is there not a sense of camaraderie there? And what God is trying to cultivate just beyond saving us is a sense of connectedness that's healthy. And the Psalms, as we align our hearts and our minds with what the Psalms tell us, they basically are just a process of tuning and calibrating our hearts to the heart of God so that when the, when the shepherd turned mentor turned host finally happens we're ready because the psalmist ends it this way you're with me your rod and your staff they comfort me and then the host prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup runs over and then the psalmist says surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever so goodness and mercy are chasing after us 
on this journey that we're on. And the Psalms are defining the way. And as they're chasing after us, they are the very goodness and mercy of God. Where when, when, when we follow him and we align with him, good things happen. When we follow him and then we deviate from the path and he has to go in and, and rescue us, that's just a mercy. Anybody ever hiked the Appalachian Trail? Some of you? None of you? Okay. Well, I don't recommend it unless you're ready. But one thing that people have said is, if you're going on this trail that goes from Georgia to Maine, and you decide you want to take a little sidebar trip down, down into the woods, there's a good possibility you'll never come back. You can go 100 yards off the wood and become so disoriented that you actually never find your way back. And I sometimes think when we're on the path and we're trying to do the sidebar thing, it's the mercy of God chasing after us and pulling us back and maybe even telling us in, in his own way, stop being an idiot. Because I, I kind of think that's what his word for sin is in some ways. You're just totally disoriented in how you're directing your life. And it's going to undo you. And the psalmist says, there is a destination. And I want you to be there. And I'm going to work hard so that you can be there. And as you're going there, I'm also going to be your provider along the way. And if you tune into that, good things and blessings will start to happen, even though there's dark valleys. And there's no getting rid of dark valleys. They will be here until that time comes. And I'm just going to end it with this thought. Because I know a lot of us have dark valleys. And some of us have been self-inflicted. Like, you know, yeah, why are you in the hospital bed? Well, uh, I was climbing on a school building and I shouldn't have been. Oh. Well, maybe that's your own way of saying probably won't be doing that anymore. True story. I got probably the, the, the wounds on my bones to, to tell you. So a lot, a, lot of our, a lot of our evil is self-inflicted, but the thing about it is we were born into a world that already had so many things in place that just orient us towards evil to begin with. And God is looking at us and he's saying, you couldn't help but be born into a situation where evil is prevailing. That was not my design. I did not bake into this situation evil. It's something that came in and infected it. And my whole aim is to undo it and then redo what's been infected. And that place where he calls us to... That table, that hospitality is actually a destination where he's saying, I want you to stay here forever. You ever go on a vacation? Do you have an ideal vacation destination where when you went there, you're like, I can stay here forever. And as you're leaving, you're on your phone thinking, where can I find a job around here? Because I, I love this view. There are places that just charm, charm us to no end because they've got the green grasses and the still waters and, oh, they make you feel so good. 
And God's saying, that's, that's what I've destined you for. That just gives you a taste of what's yet to come. But there is something that is an unauthorized presence in my creation. And I'm out to redeem it. And I'm out to lead you through it and beyond it. I'm out to shepherd you along the way. I'm out to help you tune in to the voice of the guide who will be the voice for your deliverance. And there are just so many features about this story and this narrative and the Psalms combined that describe exactly what I've been telling you. These are the words for the journey. They are the way. Now obviously, if Jesus, of all the books that he read and quoted, quoted this one more than any other, how much more should we pay attention to it? There's a lot in there. There's a lot to discover. There's a lot of questions that when you get them answered will create two more questions. But that's part of the discovery process that makes it so rich. I don't know how to paint the picture any other way except to engage you in the process of reading through the Psalms. So next week when we gather, we'll have our booklets out there for Psalms 1 through 25. And if you want to read through it in the same fashion we've gone through this, feel free. And if you didn't get a chance to go through this, it's not like you had to do it on the date. You can pick up an op, a copy in the, in the, um, uh, in the uh, studio and, uh, and they're free. And you can just start reading and start tuning in. So with that said, um, I just want to end this part with prayer because I really believe that we need to tune into the shepherd in that way as we close. Would you bow with me? Father, we are so thankful that as we go through life, you are there with us. You never leave us or forsake us. The image of the good shepherd is emblazoned upon our souls in such a way that we can't help but recognize you are for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And we're so grateful that in your word is embedded the one who just digested these psalms so prolifically and then embodied their substance in such a way that he became our rightful savior and deliverer and redeemer. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you rescued us, that you called us out of the prison of our captivity, and you set us on a path that leads to the destination that you've already gone to prepare for us. Father, I, I don't want to see anybody cheated out of that experience, that adoption into your family. I don't want to see anybody believe the lies that they've been habituated to in this worldly system that we've, we've found ourselves in. But I pray, Father, that you would just open everyone's heart in this room to the possibilities that lie in front of us when we surrender our lives to you and give allegiance to you and you alone and make you our Lord and our Savior together in a shared vision for the life that is yet to come. Father, forgive us where we are caught up in things that detract from our way of life in you. And help us, Father, to be bold in our walk with you as you have strengthened us in so many ways. I pray for those captives who may be in the room today 
that you help us to help them to find deliverance through the precious blood of Jesus. Help us, Father, as we tune into your psalms and we hear your voice. Help us to be strong in you and to rehabituate our lives around the things that define our life together with you. And I just pray for everyone here, Lord, that you would begin that process, if you haven't already, in their lives as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.